We are thankful to our music ministry for uh, extolling our Lord uh, for us uh, through song. As you just heard, our hearts are blessed. Uh, we're glad uh, to hear uh, the recitation of those truths. Uh, wonderful, wonderful realities that belong to us, the children of God. Jesus, when he came into our hearts, uh, that day he redeemed us. And uh, what a glorious day it is, was, and, and remains for us as he continues to work through us. This morning we're going to uh, uh, take a word from uh, Judges chapter 6 in the Old Testament, of course, the book of Judges chapter 6. If you'd like to turn in your copy of Scripture there, uh, a familiar story, the story of a judge named Gideon. Judges chapter 6. I want to read a few of the verses, not all from which I will speak this morning, uh, just a few of them to remind you, set these truths in your hearing and your mind, and then we will begin explaining and applying, hopefully, the word of God. Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? He said to him, O oh Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. Let's stop there in the reading of the word of God. My subject for these verses, um, this passage that I'm going to look at with you this morning, is God's transforming presence. God works through imperfect people. Men and women who are weak, whose spiritual resumes include failures, discouragements, doubts, fears, and inadequacies. Yahweh does not say, get rid of your deficiencies and then I will use you in my service. Rather, he takes the raw material that is our life and begins to shape, mold, chisel, and prune us into the people he intends us to be. This transforming work begins, and for all of us who are saved, it began when we came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And it is a lifelong work. We're still being worked on. We have not yet come to the terminus in the Lord's transforming work in our life. We see the spiritual-altering work of God recorded in the life of Gideon, and we see it as a paradigm for ourselves. We see that he empowers us. Our first point, he empowers us. We understand that Israel at, was at a lower point spiritually and economically, as we discover in verse 11. A foreign power, Midian, subjugated them. 
In fact, it was due to Yahweh's work in verse 1 of Judges 1. It was the Lord who gave them into the hands of Midian for seven years. It was a sovereign work of God who judged them for their sin. Their spiritual and economic conditions are reported in verses 1 through 5 here in chapter 6 of Judges. An example of their economic plight is seen in the fact that Gideon is beating out wheat in a wine press. There in verse 11. The normal pattern in normal times would be the separating or threshing of the grain from the stalk on a threshing floor as oxen pull the sledge over the stalks. The wind, of course, in the open threshing floor would blow and separate the grain, the wheat, from the chaff. Remember Psalm 1. But we find Gideon separating wheat from the stalks in a wine press. (laughs) Wine presses were used for grapes. But this wine press was a pit carved out of rocky ground. And he is hiding the few grains or stalks of wheat that he has from the rapacious Midianites. They, they were rapacious because you read the previous text, they, they preyed on the Israel. They would wait till the crops were up and ready to be harvested, and they'd swoop in with their military might, and they would take it. Thus, the economic despair of Israel. This was an intolerable condition for God's people. They cried out to Yahweh in prayer. Verse 7 of Judges 6. Rather than immediate relief, which they wanted, Yahweh does something different from what they expected. In verses 8 through 10, rather than immediately delivering them from their servitude and under the rapacious hand of the Midianites, guess what Yahweh does? He sends a prophet. Verses 8 through 10. He sends a man who is his spokesman, and he tells him, notice in verse 10, the last part, but you have not obeyed me. He was letting them know that your situation, your condition of deprivation economically, uh, this intolerable situation for which you cried out to me, the reason for it is because you have sinned. Now, we, we see in verse 10 of Judges 6, that verse ends with the word me. We would expect the following punchline after that word. Therefore, judgment continues, or more judgment is to come. You you disobeyed me, you're getting what you deserve, and since you've sinned against me, you're going to get more of the same. But that's that's not what we get. Notice verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah. Stop there. Rather than a word of judgment, the angel of the Lord comes. This signals grace. 
This indicates mercy. Yahweh, who has every right to judge, he is slow to anger. He is merciful. He is gracious and merciful to the undeserving people. You need to understand the apostasy is getting deeper. By the time um, Gideon's on the scene, they're going deeper. The declension is more and more. It gets worse and worse. Their rebellion, their apostasy, they're turning away from the truth that they know in Yahweh. But here the mercy of, of Yahweh is, he will deliver them again. He comes in person. The angel of the Lord is Yahweh in person. This is no ordinary angel. He is, in fact, not an angel at all. This is none other than a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Theologians call such appearances a theophany. Two words, theos from the Greek, God, and the other word combined with it, appearance. A visible appearance of our manifestation of God. That's what this is. He comes in a form that um, can be seen. He comes in a human form, and he comes as the angel of the Lord. Now, you need to understand, we understand that this is an angel this angel is not a creature. This is none other than the second person of the Trinity. That's his identity. You'll recall in your Bible reading that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, about that rock that followed the Jews. That rock was Christ. He followed them, and he not only followed them, but he sustained them and protected them during their wilderness wanderings. Jesus Christ, before he became a man and came here to live and to die and to rise and go back to heaven, he appeared on occasion to help his people. In our passage, we, we have further confirmation that this is no ordinary angel. This is none other than Yahweh. In verse 14, it says, the Lord looked at him. Who is the Lord? None other than the angel of the Lord. Verses 16 and 22 and 23 of Judges 6 further confirms the identity of this being who is referred to as the angel of the Why angel. The Hebrew and Greek word for angel means messenger. Messenger. He's bringing a message to him. So the angel of the Lord there is sitting on the, under this oak at Ophra. Belonged to uh, Gideon's dad, Joash. And in verse 12, the angel of the Lord said to him, The Lord is with you. Hmm. This is a game changer for Gideon. The promise of the personal presence of the Lord, Yahweh himself, says, I am with you, Gideon. 
The presence of Yahweh, the angel of the Lord here, means power. It means he will be empowered for what he is going to summon him to do. The presence of the Lord with power cannot be overstated. Remember Samson? He was a judge too. And it was a, the, the greater, in fact, uh, declension by his time when he was on the scene. Remember Samson had a, a profound weakness. And finally, uh, this one woman, Delilah, she secured from him the source of his strength. Really not the source, but the symbol. So after Samson got a haircut, she said, the Philistines are upon you, Sammy. And Samson said, ain't no problem. I'll just do like I've always done. But the brother didn't know he'd have gotten a haircut. More importantly, he did not know that the Lord, as Judges 16.20 says, the Lord had departed from him. The Lord had departed from Samson in the sense that Samson was no longer supernaturally empowered to do the mighty feats for which he was renowned. Yahweh's presence is empowering. Boy, that's great for Gideon, and that was great for Samson. What about me? In a doxology, Paul alludes to the power that Christians have. Remember the, the doxology in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Thou to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. We meet all the conditions that lay outlined there in the previous verses. It is God, the Holy Spirit, He indwells us. Christ lives in us. The Father makes His abode in us. Remember Jesus said that in the upper room to the disciples. And God's power works in and through believers in ways that exceed our ability to fathom. We can't really comprehend uh, his power that works in us. We take it by faith. He says it's true. and Therefore, we believe him because he said it. His ability. He is able. Work in our life. Founder of the China Inland Mission, now the Overseas Missionary Fellowship. J. Hudson Taylor once said, quote, All God's great men have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on his being with them. They counted on his faithfulness. End of quote. That's how you go. That's how you serve. You count on him being with you. If he is with me, I'll go. If he's not with me, I, no thanks. His presence with power in our life is transforming. 
which it was for Gideon. You notice in verse 12, the last three words, O valiant warrior. Wow. A mighty hero. Think about this. When the angel of the Lord, when Jesus tells him this, uh, he's threshing grain, hiding out. <laughs> he doesn't look like a mighty warrior. His picture wouldn't be in the dictionary next to the word hero. He was discouraged. He was doubtful. He was all of that stuff. And the angel of the Lord says, oh, valiant warrior, a mighty hero. In the book of Joshua, that expression, oh, valiant warrior, refers to brave soldiers marching into the teeth of the enemy. The angel of the Lord is saying, you are brave. You're going to be a military leader. You are, and you're going to march into the teeth of the enemy. The Lord's empowering presence changes us into what we will be. He wasn't that at that moment functionally. Gideon wasn't. He wasn't that at the moment literally, but he will be that. And it was so certain that the angel Lord could call him, oh, valiant warrior, because of what he was going to do in this man's life. But that's the divine method. He tells us what we're going to be before we be it, <laughs> if I may say it like that. <laughs> divine method. You remember Abram. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 5, his name was changed from Abram to Abraham. Abraham, as you know, means a father of a multitude. Now, you can imagine Abraham as he's um, interacting with people and they say, what's your name? And he says, my name is Abraham. And they go, oh, really? And you only have one son? <laughs> and you're a father of multiple? <laughs> yeah, right. This guy, he has a sense of humor. But you see, God changed his name because God was going to do that in Abram's life. His power would ensure that he would be the father of a multitude. And so we could call him what he wasn't because of what he would be. God says, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. He does that. He, he changes names, people's names. Names in the Bible tells us what a person is, a character they're like. When Jesus in John chapter 1 verse 42 met Simon the son of John, the Lord said to him, you shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter, which means rock. Peter was not a rock at that moment. He was anything but a rock. He was anything but stable. He was, you know, Peter, watch me to God. He's impetuous. One minute he say, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And another moment he say, oh, you can't go to the cross. And one moment God is using his voice, his words. And the next moment he's letting Satan talk to him. 
But Jesus said, you're going to be a rock, Peter. So what that tells us, the Lord makes us what we become. His presence in our life is transforming. Whereas we might write some people off, God doesn't. Because he's not finished writing the story. And he's going to use this man named Gideon. Now, Gideon didn't know at that time to whom he was speaking. He was uh, focused on how could the Lord be with us. So what he says in verse 13, us. Actually, the angel Lord in verse 12 said, uh, the Lord is with you. The pronoun is singular. Here the pronoun in verse 13 is plural. B but Gideon, why then has all this happened to us? Apparently he didn't, hadn't heard the message in verses 6 through 10 as to why all that had happened. And Gideon is wondering where all the, the Lord's miracles which our fathers have told us about. Bring us out of Egypt and all that. Where are those miracles? Gideon now, understand this, he believed in God's power back in the day. It's like the little girl who was listening to her mother tell Bible stories about Moses, Joshua, and Samson. Finally, she turned to her mother and said, Mommy, you know, God was much more exciting back then. <laughs> Gideon had that kind of thinking, and so do we. We may possess a similar sentiment with the words, God acted powerfully back then. But you notice um, what happens here. The Lord hadn't abandoned them. No, in fact, uh, the, there wasn't, it wasn't an abandonment. It was God, as it were, chastening them. That's why Midian was there. God chastens. What he does, he brings that kind of adversity into the life of a nation, his chosen people, and into our life because he wants us to turn from our sin. No, he hasn't abandoned. He's just not working in our life the way we want. And that's what he's doing there. The Lord says to him, Verse 14, the Lord turned and says, look at it. The, the Lord turned to him and said, go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? Yahweh says, go. And Gideon in verse 15 says, in effect, uh, how can I? O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in my father's house. In other words, the job is too big for me, and I'm too small for it. I come from a lowly family. In fact, I'm lower than a flea's knees. That's how he felt. He said, who am I? He lacked self-confidence. 
And this is a good thing. Self-confidence in Christ's work is a dangerous mentality. It is the precursor of pride and the harbinger of failure. None of us is or are, is, are, none, depends on how you use the word. Y'all understand that, don't you? Look it up. That's what I did. <laughs> none of us is adequate. None of us, and I, 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 I stick to the singular there because I want to include, there's not a single one of us is adequate for the task that the Lord assigns us. Writing about his role as a minister of the New Covenant, Paul states, not that we're adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Our confidence must rest solely and squarely on him. I'm reminded of the great preacher, told it before, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. God used a man mightily. Boy, he was gifted. Oh, the fluency, facility with language, even off the top of his head. I mean, the guy was phenomenal. But you know what Spurgeon did? When he get ready to preach, as he's going to the railing where he would stand to deliver the word of God, 15 steps. And as he was walking those 15 steps to the place from which he would deliver the word of God, he would say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. You know why he was doing that? He was expressing, I'm depending on you. He wasn't depending on his spiritual giftedness, which was more than ample. <laughs> He's depending on the power of the Lord. His confidence wasn't in himself, but in the Lord. So it should be with us. In our service, it has to be in him. We're God-confident people, or should be. So after Gideon makes his uh, protestation about his inadequacy and he shouldn't and all of that, but the Lord said to him, verse 16, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian. The Lord tells him again, I'll be with you. These are the words God used in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, with Moses, and in Joshua chapter 1, with Joshua. God, <laughs> that seems to be his answer. When people object, the big answer is, I'll be with you. This is apparently God's trump card when there are human objections to being used by him. God said, I'm with you. In all their dilemmas, quandaries, and crises, this has been God's words, word to his servants. I will be with you. Now think about this. This statement does not offer any details about what, where, how, but only the essential thing, who. The who, God, is with you, is enough. 
If Yahweh isn't enough, nothing can be enough. That's what he tells Gideon. And then he says, this is what's going to happen because I'm with you. Notice in the text, you shall defeat Midian as one man. What does that mean? That's an idiom that means as easily as one person can be eliminated. In other words, because my power is such, I'm with you. Uh, when you go to combat them, it'll be like you fighting one man. You're going to defeat them that easily, although it's a multitude, it's an army. Victory, therefore, is guaranteed. God will do the fighting. He's with Gideon. Who can stand against God? Whenever you're engaged in work for him, service to him, for Christ, he, he empowers you. He's present with you. Who can defeat you? He empowers us. The next point, he engenders us. Excuse me, he engenders faith. Well, he does engender faith in us. Verse 17, Gideon by now knew that he was in the presence of someone unique. So this is, this, is, this is the Lord. But he wanted to be certain that it was indeed Yahweh with whom he was talking with. He wanted to make certain that he was hearing the word of God. He's making these promises. These are great promises. You're going to defeat Midian? You're going to do all? I'm with you. You go. And so Gideon... In verse 17, one of the sign is <laughs> the first of three signs in the Gideon narrative that he asked of the Lord. And what's wonderful about this, the Lord acquiesced. He said, yes. Why? Because he's going to engender faith. He is going to build this man's faith. Faith in Yahweh is indispensable for our life of service. We've got to trust him. God wants us to trust him. And he will do what's necessary to build our faith. Now, Gideon, if you've read the story, you know what he wanted to do. It says in verse 19, he wanted to provide a meal. Uh, and so he went in verse 19 and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah, a flour. Ephah, that's about 35 um, pounds of flour. Now, you think about this. This took work. This took time. This was no fast food meal at McDonald's. I often thought when these things go on, it takes a while. And I mean, if I'm the Lord, I said, you know, good night. I can just do that. And we got the meal. I got to wait for him to dress this thing and cook it. And oh, mercy. <laughs> but, you know, that was the way it was. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand, verse 21, and touched the meat and the unleavened bread, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and unleavened bread. Then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. What this means is that the meal was turned into a sacrifice. It was a burnt offering. The rock upon which it was placed was an altar. 
the fiery consumption of the meat and bread indicated acceptance of Gideon's offering. He understood then this is the Lord who has accepted my offering. This is proof positive that who, to whom I'm speaking is none other than Yahweh. He knew he was in the presence of the Lord. Verse 22, when Gideon saw that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. He knew, uh-oh, you see, God, you die. But he wasn't going to die. Because the Lord had work for him to do. But Gideon knew that he had received the word of God. This sign underscored that this is a message from the Lord himself. And this is critical for us as believers. We need to act on the sure word of God. There are a lot of people in this world do stupid things saying that God told them my wife told me uh, yesterday about this man who got married and wanted to get married on a, uh, another man's property, massive property. Um, and he had all the caterers there, and they put all the stuff there, and the owner of the property, um, his large estate, called the police. And the man said that God told him he was going to be married there. I said, well, did God tell him that the man's going to call the police and arrest him? <laughs> uh, fools are multiplied in this world who say God told them something. God hasn't told them anything. And I say the deal is they lie about God all the time to justify their stupidity. And one day they're going to give an account for the lies they told about God. You'd never hear that from Gideon. He said, no, I want to know that God really talked to me. Has he really said these things? This is God. And for us, we want to know that too. And we have not some voice in our head, some imagination in, in our minds, some thought that runs through it, God's, no, we know it's the word of God. That's sure. That's certain. We can trust that. I'm going to tell you something. We're not going to have a physical encounter with Jesus Christ. He's not going to show up in your living room. I'm, I'd be willing to bet your paycheck on that. Mine as well. He has given us his word. So how do we encounter him? You may ask. I'm going to tell you how we encounter him. I've already alluded to it. Now I'm going to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. New Covenant Ministry. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, speaking to believers, beholding as in a mirror, intimacy, the glory of the Lord, 
are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. We see Jesus' glory in the Word of God. We see his glory in the uh, New Covenant. And we're transformed into his likeness. We become more like him as we behold him in an intimate way through the ministry of the Word of God as is applied to us by the Holy Spirit. See the words transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Glory to glory from one level of manifesting Christ to another. We increase in Christ's likeness in our life. That's the transforming work of the presence of Christ in us through the ministry of the word of God to us. So we have the transforming word. We won't have a physical appearance by the Lord. But we do have this physical thing called the Bible. So as we spend time with him, by means of his word, he will equip us to serve him. What he he is doing, you say, well, he had to take Gideon from point A to where he eventually gets him. He's done that with us. And he is still working on us, isn't he? What he is doing in our life in this process of sanctification, he is making us more useful to him as we become more like him. We'll be more like Christ in character and in commitment. Our commitment is increased in terms of doing the Father's will. For Jesus on earth, he was committed solely to doing his Father's will. Whatever pleased the Father, that's what he did. The more we're like Christ, the more we want to do what pleases the Father. We become, therefore, more useful in his service. That's what he is doing with us. The one who abides in us is working in us to increasingly use us for his glory and for the advancement of his kingdom. Let's bow together in prayer. We thank you for uh, these truths about yourself, our Father, our Lord, our God, triune, in this blessed word of yours. Grant that these truths will be meditated on by us and, and thought about more deeply. May they influence us more and more that we might be increasingly your people in terms of usefulness. We pray these things now in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I've already mentioned that